welcome to another episode of the Waffling Tailors. I would say hello, Squidgy. How are you, Squidgy? But he's not with us today, so that's that's it's a bit of a shame. But I'm joined by Jack and Bird. We are going to talk about your game in a moment, fellas. Uh, but first of all, before we do any of that, I want to say hello to you both and how are you? Pretty good. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm pretty fine. Hey, awesome. This is great. This is a, a proper multinational crossing all the time zones episodes, right? We've got we've got someone we've got me based in the UK and we've got one person over in the east and one person over in the west. This is wonderful how all of this allows us to connect together. So this is amazing. Thank you both so much for spending part of your uh, early afternoon for one person and evening for the other uh, with me this evening. So thank you ever so much for that. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, and that's very interesting how international this conversation began. Yeah, right. This is amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, so, uh, from my understanding, both of you um, are from uh, Roadkill Software. Do check them out on Twitter. There will be a link to that in the show notes. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the game that you're that you're both working on called Fluff and Fury. So uh, let's do a really quick discussion of that, like what it is and what it's all about real quick. We'll jump into some segments and then we'll come back and talk about the game. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So uh, for folks who have no idea about Fluff and Fury, what's it all about? It's basically an FPS shooter, sort of in the vein of uh, Half-Life, I guess. Well, not really Half-Life. It would be pretty unfair to call it Half-Life, but... uh. More like a campaign of some sorts. And uh, it also would feature uh, diverging paths, like you would have to go through several playthroughs in order to complete, in order to like uh, find all every single level. And uh, including some uh, seg- non-FPS segments, which we plan to include as well. Cool. Uh, that that um, genuinely sounds pretty cool. Um, I do like when when a when a game sort of mixes things up. Yeah, because like, how do I put it right? I, there's only so much Doom, Half Life, COD that I can play before I get bored of the actual format of right. Okay, I'm, I'm pressing W S A and D. I'm moving the mouse around and I'm shooting stuff. Right. There's only so much of that that I can play in one session before I'm like, right, that's it, I'm done. I want to go do a platformer or something else, right? So I kind of, I appreciate that you're throwing in different uh, different things in to uh, to sort of mix it up. I like that. And I like the idea of like, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll come back to it later on, of uh, going back and sort of replaying it. Um, so I'm inferring from what you've said, right? Replaying it again from a different character's perspective or whatever to unlock more stuff. I like that. It adds to that replayability, right? I love that. So, uh, yeah. It's sort yeah, we'll of why... To... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of why the reason that I'm kind of addicted to uh, adventurous sandbox games, sort of. Like, uh, I managed to uh, get some Nautica for free from a friend, and uh, I ended up getting addicted to it, and uh, in the span of two weeks, I basically completed in uh, 40 hours. It's just uh, (laughs) the grip of just finding new environments to play around in and just uh, explore, and and then uh, managed to die horribly and uh, bizarre stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know that one. Um, 
as uh, as someone who because like you know I uh, I'm full time employed dev. I got kids. I got you know life stuff happening. Um, I prefer to be able to jump into a like a sandbox game and just play around. Right. Sometimes I'll sit down. Like uh, last night, I played Borderlands two for two or three hours and finished a bunch of missions. But sometimes I'm just like, hey, I just want to sit like a like a Grand Theft Auto or a, a Subnautica where I'm just running around doing whatever I want. Right. Give me that place to play in. And I just run around and explore. And like you were saying there, uh, Bird, about just running around and actually just seeing what there is to pick up. Right. Oh, cool. There's one of these. Oh, oh cool. There's one of those. Right. That could that could that could be fun in and of itself. Yeah, sandbox games are always actually inspired me, and that basically the most interesting genre of game that you can find uh, in the game industry so far, in my opinion. Yeah, so I kind of agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah, I I love it because it's like it takes the idea of what a what a game is and just throws all of those ideas out the, out the window, right? It becomes more, um, it is, it is a sandbox. It's less a game and more a sandbox. And I love that because, you know, I may have five, 10 minutes to play. So just give me something to play, right? Rather than give me some mission to run. That's going to take me two hours, but I digress. <laughs> I digress. I think um, the best, oh, sorry. I think no, the, best example of like what a sandbox is to me is a Gary's mod and you just basically have it just basically unleashes the player in the world and they can just do pretty much anything and uh and also the modding community is wonderful it's excellent and it just allows people for uh to do several game modes and i think Correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they popularized Trouble and Terrorist Town, correct? Um, I f- yeah, I guess so. Yeah, and, yeah, I, uh, I feel, yeah. And basically, the sa- like, there's basically an infinite number of things to do in a sandbox. Look. Especially with like a programming capability, since uh, some people know Source Engine very, very well. Mm. Yeah, and it it's very much a case of it's almost like you know they're saying here's some toys and here's a world where you can't break it. Just do whatever you want, right? Yeah. And speaking of sandbox, I also enjoy some cal- colony simulators like Rimworld and Dwarf Fortress when there is basically no restriction on how exactly you can manage your colony. And I always appreciate it when developers could uh, are capable to give this freedom of exploration and uh, trial and error for a, a gamer. Like, there is no like, co- correct playthrough for for a video game, you just pick up what fits you the best and you just go for it. And th- that's basically what I appreciate in sandbox games. And that's exactly what attracts me in this genre. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I fully, fully agree with you, uh, Jack. Um, I guess 
before we get on to anything else, I know, Bird, you've already said that um, Gary's mod's one of your favorites, but like, what what are some of you you chaps' favorite um, sort of sandbox games for the, that that kind of um, that kind of just pick up play do whatever I want sort of ability? What are some of your favorites? I wonder. This might sound like sort of dumb, but uh, are you aware of uh, Pavlov VR? I'm really not. It's basically uh, it's basically Counter Strike and VR sort of. But it's done, it's running on uh, Unreal Engine 4, and the modding community is, it's just wonderful. Like, someone even uh, recreated Gary's mod in it. <laughs> but, That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, honestly, I haven't had this much fun since uh, Gary's mod actually had servers that didn't take forever to connect to. And, uh... <laughs> Because there was like this one uh, server on based on the Gary's Mod construct map, and uh, some griefer decided to like spawn a billion zombies, and <laughs> a bu- <laughs> and me and including a bunch of other people were like screaming at him to uh, <laughs> we're just screaming to just kill all the zombies and whatever. Man, that, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about what about you, Jack? What, what are some of your uh, favorites? Well, I think it's not exactly the sandbox games, but yeah, my personal favorites are actually RimWorld, the colony simulator that allows you to do very crazy stuff in this world, and uh, it does not restrict you in anything, uh, including some uh, quote unethical unquote practices like um cannibalism etc like the the game does not say you know, that it's some sort of a, a a wrong thing to do and you can play an opportunist style so if you have no better options you can uh you can go for some very crazy ideas and uh um and uh, explore new ways of gameplay well, of course, I do not endorse cannibalism in real life, but for for gameplay, it's just the crazy mechanics that always impressed me in in uh, in colony simulators like RimWorld. That like uh, it does not say you that you cannot do that, and we will uh, we will punish you for choosing the the wrong path. But nothing stops you in in this case. And another game, not exactly sand sandbox too, but the 4x strategy game i think it's uh, stellaris like it allows you to go from very democratic galactic states that are in favor of uh, in favor of immigration policies and uh, basic rights for everyone and you just go from this state to some sort of a genocidal uh, space box that conquer everything and it's just omnivores swarm that consumes everything on their past like i i always like the idea of exploration and the way how you can change your play style and basically the whole gameplay on how you choose the development of your colony or your state in such games like stellaris or RimWorld. so yeah sandbox elements are always attractive in games like this 
So I I personally love that because what I really like about uh, playing video games is it allows me as just a random person to do things either by choice or because I'm forced to by the game or whatever that I wouldn't be able to do in real life. Now I'm not, I'm going to pick up on something you said there, uh, Jack, about the, the cannibalism and the, um, the, uh, the genocidal sort of regime area that you can find yourself falling into in those games, right? In real life, you can't do that whether you have a wish to or not. Right. But in a video game, it's, it's a safe space for you to explore what happens if I create a genocidal regime. Oh, right. Okay. So this will happen, right? Yeah, that's just the the question of opportunity, like some sort of a, a hypothetical scenario. Like it's not like you endorse this thing in real life, but what could happen in diplomatic way if you actually go for it? Because uh, the sort of a uh, devouring swarm is the playthrough that cuts off any diplomatic relationship in games like Stellaris. And uh, you have to focus on something else but diplomacy because diplomacy will probably won't probably work in scenarios like this. So yeah, it's all about the experimentation, not about endorsement. Like yeah, ju- just to correct myself, like <laughs> I'm not in in in, in favor of uh, such policies. Yeah, that's just the uh, the the idea that you can. Uh, check out what could probably happen if you actually go for it. Yeah, and on sure. the topic of uh, of uh, games sort of uh, limiting players on what they can do, I like to compare RimWorld to The Sims in a way because RimWorld it's basically a demented version of The Sims where you can just do anything. Like in The Sims, you have an argument with your neighbor and like fight or whatever. But in RimWorld, you can just, like, unload a machine gun and grenades upon their house. And, and <laughs> it, I think it's a fair comparison to, uh, to some FPS games that, uh, that is just basically shooting everything. But what if you can just uh, have a little break once in a while and maybe, like, have a motorcycle ride or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's pretty much uh, like uh, the Postal franchise. Like, I don't think that people who actually play Postal are in favor of everything that happens uh, within this franchise timeline. Yeah, yeah especially but the cat silencer. Yeah, and uh, that's just uh, some sort of uh, um, very bizarre relaxation, so to speak. And, uh, like... Um, I, I don't think that people who actually play Postal would ever consider option of using animals as some sort of silencer. But yeah, in case of uh, creativity and uh, um, hypothetical situations, it could be could be quite funny to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, even things like um, uh, right. So the the the, de- the the time of recording. The new Pokemon game has kind of just dropped in the last twenty four hours, right? Um, is is that game endorsing running around and capturing animals and stuffing them into small metallic uh, metallic boxes? No, but it's encouraging people to go out and see the world and just have a look around at what's what there is to see and what there is to do. And I think that 
I think all video games have this ability to do that if they want to, right? Um, they have this ability to 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 be art, right? To be something which allows someone to go, but what happens if, right? To be that sort of exploration, like you both have said, right? It allows you to explore this the silly idea of attaching an animal to a gun or the silly idea of because like uh to, to go back to pokemon as another example right it's it's the ancient art of butterfly catching just in a slightly different package right and um the uh squidge who's usually on the show with us actually told me today at the date of recording that um, he he was playing through the new Pokemon game and he's, he he sat there and said, "Wow, they should have just called this Pokemon Breath of the Wild because it's like as beautiful as that game, right? And the scale is so large." And and I think that um, yeah, I th- I think all video games allow us to sort of explore that those ideas and that that silly nonsense, but in a really sort of safe space, right? Like like yeah. you said, Jack, right? You don't have to endorse these ideas. Just play with the idea for five minutes and see what happens, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, one of the things that we like to do, uh, chaps, is we love to play this this game um, called The Thunder Planes, right? And in The Thunder Planes, what we do is uh i do need to i do need to get my actual copy that i need to read for this because otherwise the uh the editor will be very upset with me so just bear with me a second i'm sorry i should have been way more prepared than this <laughs> yeah it's all right <laughs> it's because it I'm, I'm recording in a space that i don't usually record in you see so um so bear with me a second where is it where is it where is it is it in here yeah okay right okay so what we like to do, uh, chaps, is we like to take our guests and yeet them into the Thunderplanes. Now, the Thunderplanes, if you haven't played Final Fantasy X, uh, the basic intro that I give every time is, imagine that you're in the world of Final Fantasy X, and the Thunderplanes is a place that you can get banished to. And what we're going to do is we're going to open the portal to the Thunderplanes, and very nicely and very politely boot you through the portal. You will get help and... Um, and people will come to rescue you it could be today it could be tomorrow it could be in a week maybe even in five minutes um to stop you from getting bored whilst you're in the thunder planes what we've said is we will um keep the portal open and we will throw through up to three video games and everything you may need to play them including access to the internet the only rule is you can't use the game or any communication methods that are provided by the game to ask for help because help, help is already on the way right we're already going to come and get you but it's kind of like a little experiment to see what what you'd like to play so so what i'd like to say gentlemen is if i was to open the thunderplanes and yeet you both through the portal into the thunderplanes what am i throwing through with you to keep you entertained for an amount of time what am i throwing through perhaps minecraft since i've been literally playing that as a child and I still actually enjoy it to this day. Yeah, for me, it, yeah. it would be probably Fallout 2, because that's basically my childhood game as well, and it allows me to actually explore the different ways of how to beat this game, 
So it's basically Fallout plus Restoration Patch because it gives additional content to this game. I like it. I like both of those uh, both of those uh, answers. They 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 are both games that have a really long shelf life, but they also both provide. They're not just they're not just long games for the sake of a long game, right? Uh, you know, with Minecraft, you've got this idea of you know you can build your your whatever, build your house, build your your stuff, uh, but at any point something could come along and destroy it, right? You can set it up so that it doesn't have the baddies, but at any point something could come along and destroy it. Um, so that that's cool because that's got like a it's a long game, not just for the sake of a long game, right? It can be entertaining, it can be therapeutic, and I love the idea of the fallouts. Um, because those, again, you know, I, I think I saw a, a, a speed run from two, three years ago where the person who was speed running Fallout 1, 2, 3 and New Vegas got through them all in sequence in two hours. So it's one that can, that can pose a challenge, like how do I get through this so quickly? But also that has, there's enough of the map to explore that you could always just, you just wander off and just walk around for a while and see where you get and then i suppose you could just go you know what i mean delete my save file and start again right <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i like that yeah i think i saw this uh playthrough as well like the speed run uh for o- the whole fallout franchise and yeah that's uh, exactly why i love this game as well perhaps some people do not endorse the idea of meta gaming when you know exactly where to find some very high valuable stuff like power armor or minigun or something like that but i actually love the idea when you just explore the game and you know exactly how you can beat it next time more effectively in comparison with your first playthrough so yeah that's exactly why i love the fallout franchise although i have i might have problem with bethesda games but yeah, that's just my personal taste. I, I do not I do not say that these games are necessarily bad just because my taste do not, does not fit with the rest of the community. Yeah, my personal favorite is Fallout 2, of course, but that's because of imprinting effect, I think. And as for the other two games that I can bring into the, the Thunder Plains, I think it would be a multiplayer game, preferably with voice chat, and without the option to mute just so I can mildly annoy people and why I'm playing in the middle of a thunderstorm. <laughs> you're, you're a cruel bird. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing a multiplayer game with friends, why not mess about with them, right? Um, I do know that uh, there are other episodes, but I do know that uh, we had uh, Squidge with one of his... Um, one of his friends that he often plays multiplayer games online with, and they were talking about ways that they just mess each other about. Right. Um, I think it's uh, payday two. They, they sometimes just, they get everyone ready and raring to go and then they'll just disconnect from the server, right? The, the game starts and then they just jump out just because it'll mess the other players up or like <laughs> they'll, they'll plant a mine in the first room so that everybody runs through and they immediately die, right? Just because they're messing with their friends. And I, I love stuff like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, whatever the consequences for uh, in a multiplayer game when I'm playing with a friend, like, 
if the consequences would be funny, I usually just let it happen or like just make it happen. Like, uh, I remember when I was uh, playing uh, Cry Fear recently, the co-op campaign for it with a friend, uh, there was basically this one absolutely hellish section where, like, there was this enemy that would insta-kill you and is pretty fast and uh, that was just stuck in a cabin or something. And uh, I would just treat my friend like bait. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we died like five times, like trying to bait him out with himself. But thankfully, like the game has infinite revives because uh, apparently CPR works for chainsaws, like chainsaw attacks too. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. There was um there's another thing that um I was talking to I was actually talking to the co-host today, Squidge today, about uh some of the stuff he does in Borderlands 2. Right? Just because I've been recently playing through it, so I'm like, give me some give me some hints and tips. And he said there's this one thing you can do with one of the characters where if you fire wildly Right? It builds up this stat where eventually your shots are worth like a million damage or something silly like that. I didn't quite get all of the detail, but it's like the story that he told when he was telling me was uh, hilarious. It's, it's him and his friend go online and join random games. And what he'll do is he has this 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 skill or whatever that allows him to build up this, this ability. Uh, what he does is he just, as soon as they start, he aims at the floor and wastes all of his ammo into the floor, right? Because by firing wildly, he's building up the, the, the power of the rounds, right? And then he says, right, guys, I'm out of ammo. Go find me some ammo quick. And then what they do is they run towards the boss, but he sh he's like cloistered. He's protected by the other players. And uh, and he'll say, you know, they're saying, don't let, don't let Squidge die. Don't let Squidge die. He's got to make it all the way to the boss without reloading, without doing anything. Right? He'll get to the boss and he's got one round left. And it's like this weak, really weak gun. Right, the rest of the support team are taking out all of the enemies. You know, you get waves and waves of enemies with a boss character, right? And on on whatever mark it is that one of the friends will shout, "Go oh, and then kill the boss!" He'll take out this really weak pistol, fire one round at this like like uh, infinitely over overly powered boss, shoot one bullet at it and kill it. And everyone's like, "Whoa, how did you do that?" And he's like. It's because because I'm mace. That's how I did it. <laughs> and, I, and I love like games like that that allow you to mess with people's expectations of what's going to happen, right? <laughs> so, chaps, let's talk a little bit more about Fluff and Fury, right? We talked a little earlier about how it's kind of it's a first-person shooter with several different characters that you can unlock and loads of different extra things that sort of mix it up and spice it up. So, well, um, correction, but. Uh not like Sorry. multiple characters, just like one. Ah, okay, right. So I apologize for getting that wrong. Um, we'll keep that in because I'm an idiot, right? And I like to show that I'm an idiot, right? But that's okay. That's me not paying attention properly. So I apologize, everyone. It's alright. But yeah, um, so so I've 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 looked at a number of screenshots and some of the uh, the scant footage that you've released over on Twitter, um, and it looks a bit like to me anyway, just from these screenshots and the little bits that you've released. It looks like it's a little bit Doom, a little bit, um, uh, like you said, a little bit Half-Life-ish, a little bit Fur Fighters, if I can really stretch that opinion, because you've got like, I mean, it's in the title, right? Fluff and Fury. So these are like angry, 
anthropomorphized animals, right? Is that right? I mean, am I way off base? What's is is that the case? Yeah, they are anthropomorphized animals. We went with that art style just sort of because, uh, well, we mainly went with it because uh, we didn't want <laughs> our graphics budget was basically zero, and so cartoony graphics are more they're easier to make and mass produce. So you know what? Why not slap an animal head on them too? Yeah, exactly. Why not? And if I'm honest, it can be kind of fun. Just to it, it, it adds to that uh, uh, that I don't want to say lack of realism, but it makes it more fun, right? If you're if you're running around and just sort of shooting at something that's not a human, right? You can't really you can't really say it's over the top violence, really, and so. It ends up being kind of silly and fun, right? And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why Five Nights at Freddy's is done so well, because it's not actually like, excuse me, it's not actually um, like people coming in and trying to stab you and kill you. It's just like it's a big spooky monster that goes, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, I think why Five Nights at Freddy's got popular in the first place was because it hit like a really niche market of like, kids wanting horror games even though i thought that didn't exist at all <laughs> yeah just, uh, maybe so. yeah i just want to put some um my personal opinion on that um i i think that why it's so um why it's so cool to use the idea of anthropomorphized animals in this particular case is because you it's far easier to give a personality to a specific enemy type by using a specific um, animal, anthropomorphized animal in, in this particular case. Because when you work with human design, you always have to think about the personality trait in order to avoid this um, unification of all enemies around, because it's far more difficult to give this person personality trait to a human animal uh, while when you work with anthropomorphized animal you just can exploit some cultural stereotypes about particular animal like cats are agile and uh, crocodiles are quite aggressive etc so yeah this is what exactly makes the idea of anthropomorphic animals quite attractive plus the uh, the fact that people will not treat it very seriously because it's uh, they they will not project the human traits on anthropomorphic animals because it's just a cartoon animal like uh, there is no need to get angry of a dead crocodile at that point like it's not a real crocodile and it's not a real human so yeah to that's basically the main advantage of this idea and on in my perspective I like it. Um, I feel like there's also, like, you don't have to worry about race and politics and things like that. It's, if it's just a bunch of cats and dogs and mice and crocodiles and bears running around shooting each other, there's no real reason for it. It's just, it's a bunch of cats and dogs and mice and bears and squirrels and whatever running around and shooting each other, right? You don't have to worry about, oh, well, you know, oh, well, this, this, this person represents this ideology and that person represents that. It's like, no, it's not. It's just a bunch of animals running around shooting each other. Get over yourself. 
Honestly, <laughs> if somebody tried to, <laughs> if somebody <laughs> tried to, uh, <laughs> like, manage to convey, like, interpret some sort of political message or some sort <laughs> of other message that <laughs> that we're trying to, that we're uh, developing in Fluff and Fury, I would honestly spend, like, a good minute laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's buy them a cheap trophy and send it in the mail, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps I would just give them, like, a $5 coupon to McDonald's. <laughs> and it expired five months ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like it right so they've even got the uh the horribleness of they can't even use it i like it i like it <laughs> yeah and just like if you have no very straightforward racial coding in these games like for instance if you take the cartoon code uh, freeze the cat is if i recall correctly there, there was very specific race coding in this particular movie. And uh, another case, if you do not add any racial coding or any political coding on animals you present on your, your video game, then it's basically there is nothing to complain about. It's just a silly shooting game with funny animals. Like, yeah, so I agree with the idea that people need to get over themselves when they see animals shooting each other i like it i like it so then how how do you go from i've not built a game to i want to build a game where animals run around shooting each other what, what's what's the thought process there right <laughs> yeah so uh this game originally started out as a pet project between me and another member who's not here right now uh he's called rabbit but uh it originally started as a pet project, more like a sort of a shitpost game or something, but then we actually wanted to be like sort of serious about it because uh, making game is uh, hard. Mm -hmm. Unless if you want to do like some Unity Asset Flip like those uh, dollar store Spider-Man games I've seen on the Google Play Store. Yeah, yeah. Ch churn is a real thing in uh, in video games, right? I've seen. Uh, I remember. I think it was last year, the year before. That I'm not going to mention what's going on in the world, but the last 26 months have been kind of like a blur to me, right? It still feels like it's early 2019, but I'm not going to go into why. But um, but it, I want to say last year, maybe the year before, there was a whole bunch of stuff released on um, certain console platforms that were all like. They were very clearly someone had gone through. How do I make a game in Unity? Taken every single step and released it as a console game just to try and make some quick cash, <laughs> right? Oh, I I think I know what you're talking about. Like uh, when uh, when uh, AVGN, uh, the angry video game nerd on YouTube, did a review on Black Tiger for the PS4. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. It was just very that that churn is is always going to be there, right? Somebody's going to go, oh. I'll, I'll pay the $79 or whatever to try and release a, a game on the console. And then I'll just release loads. Of, I'll go to Google, type in, how do I make a first-person shooter in Unity? Spend three or four hours throwing that together. Hit file, send to PlayStation. And there you go. I'll make loads of money. Okay, what's the next one? How do I make chess in... Uh, I'm making fun of Unity, right? But this happens with all the engines. How do I make uh, chess in the uh, in whatever game engine... Uh, 
Uh, Unreal. Okay, right. Click, click, click. Send to PlayStation. Right, okay, next step. All right. And it feels like there's a lot of churn like that. So I, I totally appreciate what you mean about the uh, the current flood of Spider-Man knockoffs <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that are appearing it, in mobile markets. It's expen- It's like extremely prevalent among uh, mobile markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, right? Because like, if you're if you really say free to play video game, especially if you do it on Android, because you don't you don't have to pay as there isn't as much of a a barrier to entry for Android as there is iOS, right? If you release a freemium game, you could just throw loads of ads in there and make a whole bunch of passive income. Or if you're particularly um, egregiously malicious. You could release a freemium game, throw a miner in there, like a Bitcoin miner or something, oh. um, and and then throw the ads in, <laughs> right? And then you you're making money left, right, and center. I please don't do that, everyone, because that's just dreadful, right? Yeah, that's extremely <laughs> scummy. Like I used to have a flashlight app on an old phone that I had for some reason didn't have a flashlight on a flashlight app by default installed, so I just downloaded one, and like. A few months later, I was wondering why there were a bunch of pop-ups on my phone, and uh, it it eventually frustrated me. So uh, I eventually diagnosed it, and it was actually that that app. And uh, mm-hmm. like, I don't understand how like Google Play hasn't like taken it down yet because it's they basically created adware. Mm-hmm. So, uh, personal opinion, I think the reason why is when you submit an app to the google app store um there's almost no oversight it's like yeah okay sure you've paid your license it goes on the store whereas when you submit something to apple they do a whole bunch of um uh tests and code quality assurance and stuff like that to make sure that it's not doing something that is like outside of their uh their strict sort of rules as to what you can do in an app but it also checks to make sure like it used to check to make sure that you weren't forcing the user to sign up and pay for something and it wasn't uh, downloading random code from the internet to change how it runs and things like that so i feel like the apple the apple ecosystem is a bit more the term they use is like a walled garden right you can do these things but if you step outside of that we're not going to let you release the app and whereas i think like the android platforms more like the wild west you can literally do whatever you want and it doesn't matter right I believe the rules for the mobile marketplaces, both uh, Google Play and uh, Apple, is that they just basically make up their own rules, and if they say, like, something is wrong, then something's wrong, and they remove it. Mm -hmm. It's very less is fair. It's very inconsistent. sort of sidetracked a little bit right yeah <laughs> i completely interrupted you about where where you got the idea from making this game from and it, it, did you say it was just like a, a reaction to all of these copycat games that are just appearing left right and center oh no more like a it was more like a shit post game that i wanted to make with rabbit right. but uh eventually the idea flourished and uh now we're here i like it okay um, so we, we, we talked, we mentioned earlier a little bit about, um, 
why it's kind of cartoon characters rather than human characters for a bunch of reasons. Um, the first being that it's it's easier to create cartoony, um, animal-y silliness. Um, and secondly, there's no way for people to project a meaning onto it. Um, but what is what is that process? Like, how do you go, uh, how do you sit there and go, right, okay, we want a new character. Uh, lions, bears, squirrels, um, otters, uh, axolotls. Hey, uh, dogs, cats. What, what's that process uh, going from? We have this idea of a new character all the way through to like creating that art and putting it into the game. What's what's that? What's that look like? So we basically once like whenever we see uh, an enemy niche that we want to fill out, we just usually think of a of some kind of animal that basically has some sort of the same traits. Like if we want a sniper enemy, why not make it a falcon or? If we want to like make a copy of the Vortigaunt from Half-Life, then why not make it an electric eel? And I like it. that's basically our thought process for it. Except for the horse, he makes no sense. He just has a bootleg rocket launcher. I mean, why not? Why not? It's your video game. Do what you want, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But besides horses are quite uh, strong animals that can carry a lot of uh, weight on them. So basically, at that point, a horse would this rocket launcher would make sense because it's basically one of a few animals who could probably handle this, this stuff if it was anthropomorphized. Yeah, yeah. just my horses are, opinion. Horses are also strangely emotional for some reason. Mm. Mm. See, we're, we're talking about all the different types of animals that you could, and, you, and you're looking for that that feeling of like, like you were saying, right? We want a sniper. Why not a falcon? We want something with a rocket launcher. Why not a horse? Um, and I'm actually I'm reminded of this this book. It's only a few years old. Uh, I know I read it like two years ago, so it's it's new to me. It may not be new to the world, but it's a book called Dogs of War by Adrian Tchaikovsky. He's a he's a UK based writer, and he essentially said, in his book, he explores this idea of what if we could genetically engineer animals such that we could give them intelligence and a way to communicate, but use them to rather than rather than humans to fight the wars, have the animals fight the wars, right? Um, and it's actually told from one of the one of the uh, the character the 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 character's point of view, where he is he's a wolf. But he's like the leader of this pack of different animals, and there is there's like a um, I want to say that the sniper is a, a lizard of some kind, and there's like a swarm of bees and um, a bear and a wolf and a tiger, and each one of them is picked because they have like you guys were saying they have this one particular attribute that fits well with the 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 type of like you want a heavy you could choose a bear you want a, a sniper like you're saying maybe. Uh, a falcon you want a uh, a healer maybe i don't know what would a healer be uh, my immediate thought was some sort of ape because they sort of groom each other but that may be way off you know maybe a panda or something right Horses. and and i like this sorry oh sorry keep talking oh okay um and and i like this idea of choosing a different animal that fits with the the sort of i the the characteristics you want of that character. I love that. The heavy is a bear. The sniper is a falcon. The horse has a rocket launcher because reasons. I love that idea, right? 
Yeah, that's very interesting concept. I, unfortunately, I never read that book in, in this particular context, but that's quite an interesting perspective. And while, yeah, people could criticize this concept because modern warfare actually turns turns infantry in some sort of auxiliary force. Yeah, but having some sort of specialized force was actually a very attractive idea since the ancient times because uh, different nations used elephants as some sort of a battery ram that could actually uh, intimidate enemy forces, etc. Yeah, unfortunately, I usually read uh, books about the religious impact and how people used animals in some religious practices. So I, I don't think that I can add some additional input in, in warfare. But yeah, recently I just read the... Uh, the article that was called Dogs of Death, I think. And it was about how different nations actually perceived canite species as some sort of psychopomp, as a spiritual guide that meets the people uh, in the afterlife and guides them through the afterworld to, to, to the better place or the place of afterlife, etc., so yeah, it's quite interesting how people actually perceive animals in different perspectives, not just the war machine, but some sort of a rel religious or cultural impact as well. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. Uh, I'll have to check that one out. Um, the so th this particular book that I uh, that I mentioned, it spends a little time with the characters and, and talks about like the missions that they go on. But the majority of the book is all about like the politics about if we could give these creatures these this ability to to be these like infantry soldiers or whatever and the the a way to communicate with people. But they kept the the characteristics of those creatures. So like the reason that the the reason that the leader of the attack force is a dog is because the dog then becomes super loyal to the general, right? When the general walks in the room, the dog is it that sort of the leader is very attentive, but also um, you know, that's that's the leader. That's that's the person they judge. I have to go sit by them and I will feel happy when I'm by them. And when they tell me good dog, that means I've done something right. And it's like the 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 politics of like the brainwashing aspect and all that kind of stuff. So if you're inter interested in that, I would definitely check out Dogs of War by Adrian Tchaikovsky. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for anyone listening. Um, but that's that's way that's way off base with what we're talking about, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'll check out that book later. Yeah, like I say, it's it's pretty good. I, I got it uh, free on Amazon because I've got a Kindle, right? I got it free somehow with that, right? But it may be available for other formats. I'm not sure. Um, so what I'm envisioning is for, for, for fluff and fury, what I'm envisioning is you, you said earlier on that it's a FPS with sort of, you have to play through it a couple of different times and there's lots of different, there's, there's some bits that break up the gameplay. So then does that mean that, that, that gameplay is a very important thing? Is it important to keep it fresh for you guys? What's the what's the thinking there? What's the mindset on, on keeping the gameplay fresh, right? Cause like I said earlier on, there's only so much as, as I'm not like a hardcore gamer, but as someone who plays games and enjoys them, I can only play for so long before I get bored of the format, not the content bored of the presentation, not the actual game itself. Right. 
So how, how do you keep that fresh? We also like to diversify upon the levels as well, like uh, like to distract from the shooting. So one of the levels that we're uh, that we're trying out a concept of is basically running through a bombing, like running through a min- uh, military bombing range and uh, like observing the patterns on how the bombs fall just so you can pass through them and perhaps have some enemies here and there just to shoot at you. Okay, okay. So it's, it's, it's mixing it all up, right? It's just changing things every now and again. That's good. I, I at least in my opinion, that's pretty good, right? Because, uh, like I say, there's only if I'm let's say I'm playing Doom, let's say play, say I'm playing Call of Duty, right? The core concept behind those games is run into the room, shoot everything till it's dead, then run into the next room, shoot everything till it's dead. They run into the next room. <laughs> There's a pattern, right? Shoot everything to the, and and sometimes you can get. Um, I feel like sometimes I get like a like, like a disconnect. Yeah, right. Like it, it becomes. It becomes. Uh, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I've done the shooty thing. Can I do something else? And you just drop out the game and and play something else, or maybe you just get a, get on with something else that's not to do with video games. But then, because you've dropped out, you then got to do all of the run into the room and shoot the things bit again, right, next time you play. <laughs> yeah, it can be satisfying to just uh, get a couple of headshots the first few times, but, like, if you just do it over and over, then you just, your mind gets kind of numbed out. So we like to uh, basically experiment with uh, with certain levels on how we can keep things fresh and going. Like that uh, horror segment I mentioned earlier, it like uh, we're planning on a uh, basically bootleg Resident Evil sort of, but not really because uh, who's really scared of cartoony animals? I like it. So how do you how do you like the yeah how do, how do you choose what things are going to go in as a you know you. you like you've got the core, the core concept. So how do you go, right, okay, guys, I think we need a Resident Evil bit. Or, hey, wouldn't it be great if we do a Road Rash? Like, how do you choose those? Is it just, you you know, after a while of sort of working on it and playing it and sort of refining it, you then go, what would be great here is if we could do an X, right? How do you do that? Is it just a gut feeling? Is it something you've already got planned out? What, what's, what's, what's the process? What I like to do is, I basically take an idea, and no matter how shitty the idea that I think it is, uh, I just try to incorporate it in my my mind and uh, think of how it could work in a way that's actually enjoyable. Like that that bombing range section, uh, just basically thought of uh, Death Run and Gary's Mod, and, and just thought, you know what, what if I did something like that? Cool. Okay. No, I like that. I like that sort of drawing inspiration from other other titles. Then, so what I'm what I'm thinking is, if it's a first person shooter and a bunch of different sort of mini games and things to mix it all up, is there a story? Do you care about a story? Nope. Should the players care about a story? <laughs> the story we literally made up in like five minutes. Right. Okay. And it's go basic- shoot the thing because you have to shoot the thing. 
And it's basically that your psychotic military girlfriend or whatever, like, wants this, like, wants you to see her at some, uh, base, but, like, your bike gets stolen, so you have to go get it back because, uh, because reasons. I like that. I, that, that, that fits really well with, like, uh, so I've been playing a lot of old NES games, a lot of NES games recently, and the stories in some of those games, like, uh, like, uh, bad dudes right is literally something's happened go kick a bunch of people in the nuts and you'll finish the game like it's quite literally that go beat a bunch of people up yeah and done it, yeah. <laughs> in case of script writing the uh, the very first uh, first shooter games were quite attractive in case of how simple the script was how but how complicit and and uh, entertaining the shooting mechanics was, and that what makes them so attractive. Like you do not overthink over that. It's just the like you you switch off your brain and you just shoot things. I mean, th- this is what the most people actually look in first shooter uh, games like this. Um, in my humble opinion, though. Yeah, if we wanted to, if we wanted a good story, we would probably be making an audiobook or something. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's the future, right? Release the game, then release the audiobook version. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the audiobook version about the plot that nobody really cares about. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So, okay. So, the story is sort of like a just a way to get people to play the game. So what about the environments then, right? So I'm I'm running through this is the, so here's the thing that I that I I worry about sometimes when I'm playing first person shooters is I appreciate there's loads of effort goes into the design, the look, the feel, you know, if you're looking at AAA titles like a a Call of Duty or a Borderlands or a whatever, right? Can you tell I've been playing Borderlands a lot recently? Um there's loads of effort goes into like the the not just the graphical fidelity, but like the design and the design language and like somebody's really thought about the different areas. Um, is that what's going on here as well? You've got loads of, you've got like a team of designers and some graphic designer people going, yeah, okay. So for, for the bombing run level, it has to look like this and it's got this kind of look and feel. And we want people to feel this way when they see these kinds of doors, or is it just a case of, you know, just throw some doors in, you kick the door in, you shoot the people, you run to the next room. Or is it somewhere in the middle, right? I'm not really sure on how to, uh, like, how to discuss on that because the environment we chose for it, it's basically set in Argentina, and uh, for some reason, in some poor neighborhoods in Argentina, they have basically very relaxed building codes where some buildings just look like it, they just basically look like some kid made it in Minecraft. <laughs> Right, and, okay. And so we like to what me and Rabbit were thinking of uh doing was just making uh just taking that weird architecture and just uh you know what, maybe if it makes almost no sense but it works, uh maybe we can like uh combine the aesthetic plus the gameplay with it and make it something to actually that it will actually work and be entertaining and such. I like it. 
I like it. So was it was it the the architecture of Argentina just or, or rather was the architecture of Argentina a a sort of a an inspiration just because you both knew about like you've both been there or you've seen lots of documentary footage or something or was it just a case of mm, I don't know let's just have a look and have a feel oh cool hey uh but this is this is brilliant thing right check this out was it just like serendipity or were you both thinking along those lines ahead of time? No, I think uh, what, what, what more likely took place is that because Rabbit actually lives in Argentina, so we just thought, yeah. you know what, how about if your city's architecture makes no sense, how about we just put a game into it? Like so it. we have like every creative like creative freedom on uh, what to do because uh, for some reason uh, I believe uh, like okay sorry for this like losing my train of thought but uh, like right next to like uh, some poor neighborhood there's like uh, train tracks and like basically a whole variety of lots of other stuff and we like to incorporate it because uh it could just gives us more and more ideas on what where the player can go. Like, if you want to like go into a playground, go into a playground because it will still make sense. Because these people have basically just crammed, like crammed in an entire. Uh, what would you have in America? Like, like, uh, sorry. Uh, so, imagine like okay. America, but just get two city blocks and cram them into like a half a mile, half a square mile of stuff. That's basically what I think their architecture is like. I like that because like as much as creative juices can flow when there are very strict rules, you know, it must look like this, it must behave like this, it must do this thing. I feel like sometimes it's easier just to like go, go jazz, right? Just like there's no rules. We just make it up as we go along. Like you're saying, if we want to put a playground here in the middle of a swimming pool, then let's do it, right? Because it's fun, right? Because the vibe I'm getting from you guys is that, is that this game is fun to play. Right. And fun sometimes means that it doesn't maybe doesn't make sense to some people why you would have these things there. Right. Yeah. Like you got to sacrifice logic just for some uh, gameplay. Like a good example on how uh, a game sacrifices logic for gameplay is a game I've been playing recently called uh, Cruelty Squad. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. No, uh, I've not. Oh, you're probably going to hate it because the graphics are basically... Oh, it's like... It's basically graphical errors. But, like, it just looks good, sort of. And the whole environments of Cruelty Squad just basically makes absolutely no sense. Like, you're just in a police station that was designed by Willy Wonka for some reason. And then <laughs> upstairs is like some flesh pit and it's ruled by some bouncy castle. 
Great. Um, <laughs> that's the that kind actually of sounds sacrifice. like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of sacrifice for logic that I love. Yeah, we would. Right. Yeah, we would not have video games if we just make simulations of the real life. Like you always have to sacrifice some common sense and some rules of physics and chemistry in order to make a, a fun game. Uh, otherwise, uh, like, yeah, the, 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 the idea of Doom as first-person shooter would not make sense in real life when you have a guy who can carry any gun he wants with him and shoot anything without dying because someone uh, made uh, a, a direct... Um, uh, uh, when well, when when the the protagonist just behaves like a a bullet sponge and he does not die, mm. like if you just turn it into a, some sort of simulation game, where where a person just dies from one shot, would it be fun to play? Like if uh, as a simulator, it would be quite valuable, but not as a game because games are sort of a piece of art, so to speak. Like you, you sacrifice some common sense in order to achieve beauty and gameplay mechanics, so to yeah. speak. I believe that if we just went the logical route every single step of the way, we would basically every single game would just be a military simulator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, or some kind of spreadsheet simulator, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just Microsoft Excel Simulator 2014. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think you you both raise a really interesting point there. I wish we had more time to ex to expand on it, but I think we can another episode if you if you're interested. But the the point that I think you're raising is that sometimes like you say, I think you both literally said just ditch logic to make it fun, right? Um and things like Doom, like you said, Jack, you know, the um mm -hmm. you your character is literally a bullet sponge and if you ran into a room and the first time you got hit you lost it, w it wouldn't be fun to play, right? And it wouldn't be fun to watch. Um, excuse me. It's the same. It's it's the same with movies, right? It wouldn't necessarily be fun to watch. You know, you, you watch these. If you watch a, a, a kung fu movie or a, a movie where everybody's fighting everyone, right? Two, three punches, someone goes down. Yeah. Right. It's not. It's not fighting for twenty five minutes and then you're 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 both kind of tired and you're all sweaty and you. No, it's not that. It's if the majority of fights are over before the first punch is thrown. Right. And so that's not exciting. And I think it's good that we can destroy that logic, throw the logic to one side, and say, you know what? We're suspending our disbelief. Just imagine you're in this world. Right. Imagine we're in a world where you can have. A, you know, a, a bounty castle inside of a prison because why not, right? Because it's fun to do. And guess what? Our job is to distract you and to maybe not distract, but our job is to entertain you. And guess what? If we put this bouncy castle in this setting, it's kind of entertaining. Go have fun, right? And I like that. I, I like that idea because, like you said, you know, video games would have never started without the, 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 you know, Super Mario Brothers, right? Super Mario Brothers is a game which cannot exist in real life. If you think about it, it's about a guy who's a plumber from New York with a gigantic mustache who goes down a pipe and ends up in a magical kingdom where if he eats mushrooms, he doubles in size. 
and he has to rescue a princess from a gigantic lizard. Like, what kind of fever dream is that? Whatever Miyamoto was on when he came up with that idea, can I have some? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, the, the whole industry would not be... The entertaining industry would be not possible if we just stick to the reality and present the the piece of art as some sort of a realistic representation of what we see around us well mm-hmm. just if we just ignore the context behind the entertainment and uh, i mean we would not have the mythological narratives fairy tales etc while they have different purpose in comparison with modern day entertainment industry of course but nevertheless if we just go uh, if we just go for reality, how could we imagine some fairy tales or mythological narratives? And the same goes for movies, literature, and game industry as well. So yeah, it makes sense to me that we have to sacrifice some logics and reality to to achieve some entertainment quality and enter- entertainment value in video games. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I'm co- so what I'll say, say, chaps, is I'm very conscious of the time we're we're talking away. Um, I do have one more question, um, and then we'll wrap up and talk about the video game a little bit. I feel like I've gone like breakneck from one topic to another there, real quick. But again, I'm conscious of the time. Um, so, what advice would you give to people who want to get started in creating some kind of video game, whether that's you know, let's. I picked on Unity earlier, right? Let's download Unity, follow a tutorial. Guess what? You've made a game. Now you can futz with it and make your own, or is it um, get together with a bunch of like-minded people like you you guys have done? Or you know, what what what's the inspire? What's the what's the advice you give? And uh, you know, is is teamwork? Uh, I feel like this is a totally leading question, right? I'm a dev, right? In full time, uh, outside of podcast time, I'm a developer, so I know the answer to this one. But how important is teamwork when you're working on something like this? So I believe that teamwork is basically crucial on, like, basically every project, like, well, almost every project, because uh, some projects are easier than others. But like more serious projects is where teamwork really just is essential, because I've seen like teamwork just become absolutely bad in uh, in some game development circles like uh i'm not really sure what uh the new vampire the masquerades team like is doing but i've heard like basically uh like i heard that it's just uh, a mess or something like it's just disorganized and like they're bringing in new people and like making other people go or something mm-hmm. and I've even seen it in some indie circles as well, like, uh, oh, like, I've seen one that's just, I am, ooh, like, I've seen one that was just, I have no idea how they even released the game in the first place. Like, it's sort of like an interesting car crash, and you just have to wonder what happened. And you have to make sure that the teammates that you're working with that you want to develop with is uh, like-minded just like you and is also want to put the same amount of dedication as you do into this project. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with Bert in this particular case. While we have some exceptions of the rule 
when a single person uh, can develop a very decent game mechanics. And even if you take into consideration these exceptions like High Fleet, the, the, the game about the, um, uh, the uh, air battle simulation, something like that, it was developed by a single developer. And uh, even in his case, he had to find for some assistance from composers, art designers, uh, conceptual artists, etc. And uh, yeah, so yeah, teamwork is quite essential in, in, in case like that, especially if you're, uh, if you're just a new guy in this uh, field. I think it's much easier to connect with people with, uh, who share your ideas on some particular project. And it's easier to communicate with people who understand uh, uh, the, the, the end goal of the game development. So, yeah, in, in my case, I'm quite a new guy here and I'm more like a concept artist and uh, a texture artist, so to speak. So for me, it's much easier to work in a team rather than alone. And yeah. uh, for me personally, like for like to recognize like bad teamwork, like honestly, like going back to that indie studio that I've seen, that's just like a pretty badly mismanaged job. Like if your staff, like if you're other developer friends are just having petty arguments with you or like you are debating on like kicking out what member or something I just recommend like just starting over and reevaluating like reevaluate everything about uh, community management at that point because basically you're almost you're gonna spend more time arguing rather than uh, because what I think is that confliction on beliefs is pretty healthy, but don't like actually argue and such where it's just becoming impossible to talk with other people without like going through a wall of text on why your idea is bad. Sure, yeah, I I, I, I get that. Um uh like I say, right I'm a I'm a developer in, in real life, so I see this all the time. And uh, what if you'll allow me to share my uh, experience? What I, what I do, right? And I see this more with development technologies rather than anything else. Is I'll see two two or more developers arguing. Oh, it should be this. It should be that. It should be that. You know, we should we should build it in this technology. We should build it with that technology. We should do this. We should do that. And I say, hey fellas, or indeed, hey people, we can continue to argue about this, or I'll go away and actually make the stuff. You all keep arguing, and I'll just get the work done, right? Your argument doesn't actually help getting the work finished. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, if you ain't made the game, you got no game to sell, right? You got no game to give away. You got no game to show off. Whereas if all you've done is argued for three and a half weeks, all you have to show for that is a really long drawn out argument. <laughs> So I think I, I think I agree with you uh, with you both, right? It's better to work in a team, and it's better to have like a cohesive idea, and better to have like those support structures in place of management and uh, and that kind of stuff. So I think I agree with you both. Yeah, I think yeah, it's also important to get things done. So I agree with the idea that uh, very long posts and 
very long conversations will not help to getting things done. Sometimes you just need to try instead of uh, instead of arguing. And if this idea fits, you can actually add it to game mechanics. And if uh, if you see that something is wrong with this idea, you can always fix it. Like you can solve any problem so far. In in, in my humble perspective, of course. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like uh like those group projects back in high school and you just pair every single kid's like every single like you make sure that every single kid in the group hates each other just so <laughs> you can just watch what happens. I feel like some teachers do that on purpose. Let's just have a social experiment, see what happens, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think some corporations actually introduce this social experiment when they introduce <laughs> some let's let's add some NFT stuff in our game or let's add some uh, pay, pay to win mechanics in our AAA project. I bet fans will love that. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Okay, yeah. um so oh sorry. Sorry, bud. Go ahead. Oh, no, never mind. Go ahead. No, I, I'm interested to hear what you were about to say. I, I don't mind. Oh, okay. So, uh, speaking on the on the paid to win stuff, like uh, I was basically, I just was craving to play Uno one day, and uh, basically all the other online options except for like tabletop simulator for like Uno were basically garbage. But like, there's an official Uno app. So I just basically go to it and I played it, and I don't know, uh, like this just frustrates me on like how greedy some companies can be, where they just like sacrifice gameplay for money. But there is basically <laughs> a button, like there is basically a mechanic in Uno where you just uh, buy, uh, basically you just buy like uh, items that can just screw over everybody else in the game just for your benefit and it's like so <laughs> like what if somebody actually wanted to play this competitively they don't have to like take out 14 credit cards yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, it becomes less about it becomes less about who has the fun and the skill and just who has the biggest bankroll right <laughs> yeah, what I'm wondering is that for these pay-to-win games, I would actually like to see a competitive match where people just spend all the money, like, in a, in one of those, like, stadiums where they do, like, League of Legends tournaments. Like, these players just pull out their credit cards and just buy everything that'll make them win faster, and, like, the person, <laughs> the person who, like, pulls their credit cards out and, like, can type it in the buttons, like, can type it in the keyboard faster <laughs> probably has a higher chance of winning do you know what i'd like to see legitimately like to see as a as a bit of a twist on that is two different versions of it one where it's like you cannot use anything that you paid for to in the game like no microtransactions that you paid for to win in this game so you have to play with the base set of what's available from out of the box right and the other one is, we'll give you a budget for $1,000, right? The the person, you win the tournament, right, by spending the least amount of money 
but also by winning all of the matches. So you have to win all of the matches, but also spend the least amount of money to win the match, right? Yeah. So then see whether it's actually possible to actually play competitively without using any of the microtransactions or the pay-to-win strategies, right? I'd be interested to see whether that that could actually be done. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a new video idea for Mr. Beast. Maybe. Maybe. Let's get him on the phone and see if he can do it. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay, then, chaps. Um, so where's the best place for people to go to find out about fluff and fury is it is the, i i know that there's a twitter account we'll link to that in the in the show notes and you all can read that out that's not a problem if you want um is there like a youtube or a blog or like a website Where, where's the nexus point for me to go to learn more about to learn the most about fluff and fury and to like get is there other early builds where i can just download it and play it or is it a case of i've got to wait till it's done and then throw my credit card at you and say hey give me the game give me the game what's 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 the process so uh, the best place to probably check out our progress right now is Roadkill Software. I mean, on the Twitter, but uh, the software part—the software doesn't have an A because uh, Twitter hates big words. And right. uh, okay. we also planning on uh, getting other more means of uh, social media up since we're kind of new to the social media game. So, and. Uh, we also have a Furfinity account called Roadkill underscore software because uh, they hate space bars instead of long names. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I'll do is I'll, I'll collect those links from you, um, you know, offline when we're not recording, and I'll make sure to put those in the in the show notes. So then people don't have to think, well, how do I get you just Just click the link, folks. There'll be a link. Just click it. You can find out all about it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, uh, what I'll say is, uh, uh, thank you. Thank you both so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed it. I love, um, shooting the nonsense is the PG term that I use, uh, shooting the nonsense with people kicking it around and just seeing where we go. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm genuinely looking forward to, uh, checking out fluff and fury when it gets, uh, a little bit more development done, a little bit more close to release. Uh, I'm loving the screenshots and all that stuff that you're putting out there. Um, I cannot wait to try it out. So uh, thank you both so much. You're welcome. Yeah. You've been wonderful to talk to. Yeah, thank again. you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me on your show again. And uh, yeah, just for the record, I apologize for my poor English. And yeah, just for a shadow how people will butcher me for my accent. But yeah, thank you for, <laughs> for, for a wonderful interview. Hey, no worries. No worries. Thank you ever so much. Uh, you've been listening to another episode of the Waffle Tellers. Um, uh, thank you all for listening in. Definitely go check out uh, Roadkill Software's Fluff and Fury. We'll put some links in the show notes for you for that. And uh, make sure to come back next time for more Waffle Tellers. Thank you ever so much. If you want to learn more about us, head over to wafflingtailors.rocks. We've got links on there for Twitter and Facebook and Twitch and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, if you go to a service, you type in Waffling Tailors, W-A-F-F-L-I-N-G-T-A-Y-L-O-S, if we're on there, we'll show up. Um, but yeah, cool. Um, thank you all so much, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'll see you next time.
intro music is Among the Stars by Muse Station Productions. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GH. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. Palette cleanser music is Breathe Deep, Breathe Clear by Siobhan Daguet. See the show notes for more details.